I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It's the last chapter of Luke's Gospel. And find that 884 if you're in the blue pew Bible. 884. You know, uh, during our, our early service this morning, sunrise service, um, while people were shaking in the cold out there, <laughs> and the pastor was <laughs> was was very heated uh, on my back. I think that I was talking to Bill. He was stoking the fire, and it was popping out. and And I did. I felt the heat there. Sorry about that. It felt wonderful. I'm glad I didn't catch on fire. Uh, but but during that uh, that time that we had, we talked about the the connection in this world between death. And hope, or more properly, death and an absence of hope in this world. And, and we went on to look at what the Lord has done to, to really turn that on its head and to replace hopelessness with a great and certain and glorious hope. Uh, and, and you think about that, how important is that? When we talk about living a life day after day after day, on the one hand, with ultimate hopelessness. Now we know we uh, put things in place to have some sort of temporary, but ultimately hopelessness. But on the other hand, to be able to live life day after day after day with a glorious hope that, that lies before us so that we know what we're about and we know for certain what the Lord has done and that it will continue. Life will continue. Uh, what, what a difference there. You know, as we look at uh, Luke 24 this morning, we're, we're going to continue along the same lines. Uh, we are looking at a different a account in the Gospels, a different resurrection a account, uh, but the same lines. But now asking the question, how can we make certain that we know that hope? How can we make certain that we derive joy and comfort from it in our hearts, knowing what Christ has done, but knowing it daily as we live it out? Uh, you know, our, our passage uh, for this morning tells us, as did the passage in, in Matthew that uh, many of us heard this morning, uh, that because of that one singular event, at one point, a particular point in the history of man in time, that there is therefore hope. Now we're at a place uh, in Luke's Gospel, as I said last chapter, where Jesus had been crucified two days before. Uh, he had been placed in the tomb just prior to the Jewish Sabbath. And so it's likely that his body couldn't be properly prepared. And so that's, that's why we see the women coming to the tomb uh, with spices and, and uh, the, the ointments that they use for prepare, preparing bodies. Uh, and so here they come uh, seeking Jesus' body uh, and uh, to anoint. And that's where we're picking up the story. Now, we are reading all, uh, almost all of chapter uh, uh, 24 up through verse 48. So it's, this is a bit lengthy, but Try to stick with it. This is a bit of a different account from uh, the other Gospels in a couple of spots here. Uh, Luke 24, verse 1. 
But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, these are the, the women, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was here, or while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping, and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad, Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if He were going farther. But they urged Him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So He went in to stay with them. When He was at table with them, He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, 
and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Let me say a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank You uh, that this is recorded in Your Word. Uh, Father, we thank You that You have revealed these things to us and not only that, Lord, but that as we look to You in faith, uh, that You've given us Your Holy Spirit, that we might see and, and understand these things, apply them to our hearts and to our lives, uh, and grow in our relationship with You. And so we do pray for that this morning. Open our eyes that we might see. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There's a, a series of, of DVDs that we've got in the library. I think there are about 10 or 11 of them. And they all, uh, they're, they're called Dispatches from the Front. I know a, a few here have seen them. Uh, but they all are uh, one man's doing, pretty much. A man who goes to different areas around the world and he interviews missionaries, the different places where he goes. And, and he interviews them, shows them on location, uh, ministering, and he shows the impact of the gospel uh, as it has taken place all over the world. And you get a real appreciation for the work that God is doing throughout uh, the world. So think about those uh, DVDs. Uh, you may want to check one out. Uh, one of them has, uh, has him going to place in northern Liberia. And he tells there, uh, through a, a, a man who is a, a pastor that he's uh, talking to, about a village called Malawu. Uh, and it was a village that was up on the top of a mountain. It was a very dark place, a, a place of, of spirit worship. Uh, and a place of oppression, a place of death, 
Uh, and it was, was said that for people who went there, you had to take off your shoes because uh, they said it was holy ground because of the Satan worship that went on there. Now, for many years in that village, people had engaged in animal sacrifice as well as even human sacrifice. Uh, and even though there were many villages in the towns below that now had churches that had been planted in them, uh, and Christianity had spread, yet no one dared go up the mountain to Malawu because it was this place of such deep darkness. And so they avoided it. Now, a number of years ago, there was, there was a man who lived in Malawu, and he came down. He ended up being in one of the, going to one of the churches. He heard the gospel, and he came to faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and over time, his his heart began to go out to uh, his people, the people up in this village, up on the mountain. Uh, and so he, he spoke to a pastor there. It was this pastor uh, that was, uh, was on the, the DVD. His name was Dennis. And uh, he, he said, will you go with me? And I, I want to go up and share the gospel with these people. Uh, and the pastor said, said yes. And so they, they began to make plans uh, for that trip. But many of the people in that church and, and in the surrounding churches said, do not do this. If you go up there and you share with these people, you will not come back alive. Uh, this is a, a place, and, and this man knew it. He came from there, a place of such deep darkness uh, and so filled with death. And then they were saying, in essence, it's so filled with darkness and death that it's beyond hope. Uh, other places, yes, you, you can go and, and share the gospel, the good news, but not Malawu. It's a place that is without hope. And you know, as we were uh, talking in the earlier service, that's the way it is with death in this world. Death is associated with hopelessness. Now, it's not always seen that way, is it? Uh, that topic, death, it's often carefully avoided uh, in this world. And it is irrational, but I think many people can live their entire lives and never really deal with that question. What's going to happen after you die? Uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that that can be such an effective evangelism question because it forces people directly to deal with that question, the one that they, they, they spend so much uh, time and energy avoiding. Just like that village Malawu, uh, in this world, two things go hand in hand, death and hopelessness. And you know that can even be true for Christians. Uh, we can profess the right things. We can say many of the right words there, but, you know, often we, we work out of our own experience. And as we live our lives and experience death in this world, loss that comes, uh, that can begin to impact our minds and our hearts so that even though we may say, yes, we see there is, there is life after death, that deep down inside the way we react, the way we live our lives is not in keeping with that true hope. And it's because 
what we see and we experience. And so doubt creeps in. And, you know, that's what we find with the followers of Jesus. You know, it's interesting in this passage, these are the ones who are closest to the Lord Jesus while he was uh, alive. Uh, they they were, were with him. They had placed their hope in him. But then when he was taken from them, it's like their hope is gone. <laughs> and, and every single one of them is, is what we see. You know, there may be a glimpse more hope in, in some, I think perhaps in the women who, who went first. But even there, they, they were looking for a body uh, and would be surprised if they didn't find the body. That's why they were perplexed. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's death that killed that hope. Uh, I pointed out this earlier about the two men, uh, uh, for, for those who were in the service earlier, the two men on the road to Emmaus uh, and how they, they went along, met this stranger that happened to be the Lord Jesus, but they, didn't, they couldn't see that. And they, they were talking to him about what had happened. And they said at one point, the chief priests and rulers had delivered uh, him and condemned him to death, crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And it's clear what they're saying there. We had hoped this connection. We had hope, but he's dead. Therefore, there is no hope. Uh, And they actually go on to say, um, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. So if there was a glimmer of hope, it's certainly gone now. Not even... A glimmer. Death is final. Jesus, He could do many things. Miracles. He could heal people. He could cast out demons. But, but no, this is a different category. Our experience tells us that for a person who's placed in the tomb, they never come out of that tomb. Death can't be overcome. And how often is this uh, the way that we take on and, and look at death, whether we admit it or not. And you know, thinking in this way has ramifications. I, uh, I, I, I knew a man, I think I've mentioned him before, a man by the name of, of Michael. I didn't know him personally uh, real well, but he had a, a big impact on my life. Uh, at one point when I was, uh, I was thinking, I was called into ministry of some sort, uh, but I, I had a real desire to go to seminary, to, to take some courses, uh, to learn the Bible in a greater way. But um, I wasn't able to at the time. And this man, Michael, offered online uh, some, some courses. They called it the theology course. And so I, I took those courses online. It was for a very low cost, which really helped me out. Uh, and uh, Michael was an outstanding teacher. He had a love for the Lord. Um, so I took those classes and benefited greatly from him. But a number of years ago, uh, Michael's sister was struggling greatly with depression, uh, and he tried to help her. He prayed for her continuously, and I, I was seeing all this on his online ministry. And then she committed suicide. And Michael, from that point on, um, began to go into a, a depression of his own. He abused meds. Uh, at one point, and he was very open online with how he experienced doubt 
and, and asked God why, and, and he couldn't understand how this could have happened. And eventually it, it, it really took away and destroyed his ministry. Uh, now, I, I, I don't say this to say anything negative about Michael. I, I, I love this man. But just to, to illustrate the impact that death can have upon us and how it can bring us toward a place of hopelessness. And we see this here in these disciples. And yet, in the midst of their doubt, we see hope entering in. At first, it comes with this group of women who, who come to the, the tomb expecting one thing, the body. But listen to the words of the angels that are there. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but, but He has risen. You know, these are stunning words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They're words that we wouldn't expect to hear anywhere else. But here, these are significant because to, to the women who were there, it was a hopeless situation. Yet these are words of hope. You know, and, and just like the, the, the rest of us, they knew what death was. They knew that it meant end, finished, without hope. Yet the angel is saying, this is not true here. He has risen. It's a reversal of everything that they had previously known. Death has not held him down. The opposite is true. He has conquered death. And then we, we see this confirmed uh, as Jesus appears in the flesh to the others. He appears to these two on, on, on the road to Emmaus. And, and uh, they didn't recognize who he was until he broke bread with them. And then when he went back to, to Jerusalem, uh, he, he appeared to the disciples as well. And he said to them, this is down in verse 38, uh, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Uh, and then, then he told them to look at his hands, look at his, his feet, and see that this is him. He has flesh and bones. There's a body there, and he's there in, with his full personality, and that we, we can see the wholeness. So their eyes were opened to him uh, as well. And then what did they do? They gave him a piece of broiled fish to eat. He asked for it, and he proceeded to eat it. Uh, and, and, and what you see, kind of, as their eyes must have slowly been opened more and more and more, that they're seeing that that this changes everything. Uh, he has gone from death to life. He he, he is real. And we we ask, well, why would he go through this whole process and say, "See my hands, see my feet, uh, let me eat what you're eating"? It was so that they might be eyewitnesses of what had happened. Uh, because he wanted all doubt to be erased. And it wasn't just with them. Uh, it's with us as well. That that's exactly what we need when it comes to this important area. When it comes to death. Uh, we need to be able to see and to know that a change has taken place. That we are no longer without hope. That we're not like the rest of the world that needs to make up things when it comes to death in order to avoid. But we can face it directly because we know that there is great hope. 
you know, the hymn writer, you may, may have heard about this. Uh, Horatio Spafford is the one who wrote, It is well with my soul. Think about those words. It is well with my soul. In the, in the hymn, you repeat those words many times over. He said those words at a point at which he had lost uh, four daughters uh, who had been going across the ocean and uh, their ship was uh, lost at sea. It went down. And you know, what, those, what those words are saying was because Christ has risen from the dead, He has conquered death and He has brought us hope. And therefore, at the bottom of it, it doesn't mean I'm not sad at loss, but at the bottom of it, we have hope. It is well with my soul. And that's, that's really the central message here, uh, that because of Christ's resurrection, we have hope. And you can go to any of the gospel accounts dealing with the resurrection. That's, that's the message that's given there. But I'd, I'd like to, to briefly point to three consequences that we can see in this passage of that. Three consequences of the resurrection of Christ uh, that help us. Uh, number one, we can trust that God's Word is true. Because of the resurrection, we can trust that God's Word is true, and, and, and it work, works both ways. We'll talk about that. Uh, we can trust that God's plan is supreme. This is talking about the sovereignty of God, that His plan is supreme. And then finally, we can trust that our salvation is secure. First of all, we can trust that God's Word is true. You know, the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus serve to validate the Word of God. We see this with the disciples. They were told beforehand that these things would happen. Yet you see what happened. Uh, yeah, they, they knew that he, he would suffer, that He would die. He would rise. He had said this on a number of occasions beforehand. Uh, but we see the doubt that was there because of their experience with death. But when they witnessed His resurrection, they knew that His Word could be trusted. Think about when the, the, uh, the angels were with Him at, uh, at the tomb, or when, when the, I'm sorry, when the, uh, the women came to the tomb and the angels were there and they, they said to the women, Remember? Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And then it says, they remembered His words. It's confirmation that was happening. They remembered His words. And then when He showed him, Himself to the second group, uh, this is down in verse uh, 44, uh, he said to them, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and of the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's saying that he had told them exactly what would happen. And not only that, but they could go back in the Old Testament Scriptures also testified that this would happen. Exactly what had happened. In other words, they could trust His Word. Imagine for a moment that uh, you get a, a really severe back pain. It's sharp, and it's been bothering you for months. 
and it's constant. I know there are some here who don't have to think back very much or imagine too much. You, you know what this is like. But, but imagine that you've been to several doctors, uh, you've seen specialists, you've had the latest technology used, nothing. It hasn't done anything. You've still got the pain that's there even after all the expense, all the, 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 the best that's out there. Then let's say you're talking to a neighbor down the street. Uh, maybe he's an older, uh, 75, 80 or so, and he tells you he used to be a chiropractor. And that he thinks he knows what your problem is because he's experienced it before, and that he can fix it. You just allow him a little bit of time. Now, probably there's going to be a lot of doubt inside of you about his ability to fix it. And yet he insists. And so you say, okay, go ahead. And then within 15 minutes, like that, your pain is gone away. But not only that, but it stays away. Now question, what are you going to think the next time that this man tells you, remember your doubt before, when he tells you that he knows what your pain is and he's able to address your ailment, there's a good chance that you're going to believe his word this time. Uh, because that's how it works when there's someone who not only talks the talk, but they demonstrate that their words are true. We believe. You know, Jesus said that he would suffer and he would die, and on the third day that he would rise from the dead. And, and then he showed before all of these witnesses, and if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, and look, and, and it's listed, all the witnesses, the 500 that he, he came and showed himself to. Uh, we can trust in his word because... We can know that the resurrection is true. You know, this is one of the things that we struggle with, isn't it? Because if we know that this, that the Bible, that God's Word is true in its entirety, and we can know that this is God's special Word to us, then this is the thing that we're going to want to know. We're going to want to take it and read it often and place it into our hearts and understand it and uh, apply it to uh, all the areas of our lives so that we're nourished by it constantly, uh, so that we're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. You know, for us, we need this. Yet, the resurrection is right there at the heart of this. You know, Paul said, and, and, and all of God's Word is valuable to us. All of His Word is needed. Yet, Paul said, when it comes to the resurrection, to the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he said, this is of first importance. You've got to grapple with this. Uh, you need to, before the Lord, say, am I going to trust in You, Lord, in this area in the gospel uh, and then as you do the rest of his word is what it's confirmed to us we begin to understand it our eyes are open we begin to believe just as as these disciples the lord jesus came to them and said look and see touch and feel and know and it confirmed all of his word 
to them. And then we got everything that follows, Pentecost. And, and they're, they're ministering and witnessing uh, for Him. This is central to us. Do you believe? Do you know that this is true? The resurrection uh, that the Lord died upon the cross for you and rose from the dead. Uh, secondly, we can trust that, that because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, we can trust that His plan is supreme. You know, Jesus knew what these disciples needed in order to renew their hope. And He knows what we need in order for our hope to be rene renewed. We need to be shown that throughout all of history, God is working out His plan. And that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was nothing new. This, this wasn't simply a response to what man had done. This shows that God is sovereign. Look at, li listen to how Jesus counseled and instructed these disciples as they walked along the road to Emmaus. And remember, they had just told Him how the chief priests and the scribes had put an end to their hopes for a Redeemer. Here's His, his answer to them. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he said this, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And then it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to be able to sit at Jesus' feet as, as he was there with these two and, and explaining through all of Scripture, through all the Old Testament, how it all found its, its completion, its fulfillment, its consummation in him. What Jesus was saying here was that as, as we go back through the pages of our Old Testament, that we're going to find that there's this continuity all the way through, that it all has one message. It's, it's all going in, in one direction. It's all ultimately about Him. Not just the explicit prophecies, but it's about what God was doing, what God was pointing to and looking forward to, the Lord Jesus and His mission. What the, what the disciples were being led to see is that God has a plan which He has orchestrated since before time began. And He's working all things in accordance with that plan. It's not dependent upon the scribes and the Pharisees and what they did or anyone else. His plan, that's why He says, uh, was it not necessary that the Christ should enter these things, should suffer these things and enter into His glory. Because He was saying, this is part of the plan. And what that should tell us is that God is sovereign, number one, over all of history. Secondly, that God has provided the means for salvation. He has orchestrated the means for salvation. That's part of His plan all along. And you know what? As a side note, he hasn't only orchestrated the means for salvation, he's even orchestrated those who will partake of that salvation since before time began. 
what that should do for us is provide a great sense of comfort, a great security, a great grounding. Because we can know that this is not just something that, that happens that's way out there. And even as death comes, that too is part of His plan. Yet, at the heart of it, He has made a way uh, for the dead to rise. Something that we can't see in our, in our mind's eye. We don't experience in this world. And yet, that's what faith is all about, isn't it? And so as we go through His Word, uh, as we spend time together with a body, as we uh, hear from Him, we partake in, in the sacraments, what is He doing? He's confirming that more and more and more in our minds and in our hearts and providing a greater sense of comfort, greater sense of peace, security in who He is and in the plan that He has worked out and to know that we are part of that plan. In fact, we are the ones who are called His beloved. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful comfort. What a wonderful security. So we can trust that His Word is true. We can trust His plan is supreme. And then finally, we can trust that our salvation is secure. That He gives us everything that we need in order to be secure. In order to have life in ourselves. Eternal life. You know, the problem with the world's outlook on death is that it has no answer for it. The world has plenty of answers for what happens in the here and now. But the truth is, the world provides zero true answers to what happens after death. But when Jesus rose from the dead, He conquered death. And for us, we're able to see and we're able to know that He gave a certain and a secure way out. In verse 46, again, Jesus said to the disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You know, He's saying that because of what Christ did. That He, he suffered and that He died, and He rose from the dead. And because of that, there is a way out. And there is hope, and there is forgiveness of sin. And it needs to be proclaimed to the world. In other words, it depends upon Him. It doesn't depend upon us. It's what He did. He made a way for us to have life, uh, and it's not dependent upon what we've done. Nothing. You know, sin can loom large in our eyes. We can think that uh, we've done that which Christ can't cover. That we've stood against Him. You know, the truth is that we see here is that no darkness is so dark that the work of Christ can't reverse it and turn death into life. Remember what I said earlier about this village, the village Malawu that was up on the mountain uh, how, how this pastor and, and the man from the village uh, had been told, don't go there. Uh, this village is, is too far gone. The wickedness is too great. Well, you can guess the rest of the story. They went up the mountain and they shared this message. You know, what did Jesus say here? He said, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, period. 
He didn't say, don't proclaim it in Malawu. And so they went there, they shared it, and the message was received. And the people began to hear, began to come to faith in Christ. And the village itself was changed. There was a church that was planted there. And the entire village was transformed from darkness to light and from death to life. Now, each one of us can be in that place in which we think, well, you know, I'm too far gone, or this, this sin is too much. There's too much water under the bridge. Uh, I'm too far along. You may believe that you've done things that you can't take back. There's not going to be forgiveness for it. Because that's what life teaches us, isn't it? Uh, that's the way things are. You've got to earn your way. There are no free gifts. But Jesus says here, for all who turn to Him, there is forgiveness of sins, complete and total. And He says that's what's to be proclaimed, that in life there is a do-over. There is a way out. Death doesn't have to be final, and so we don't need to avoid it. Uh, we don't need to be like the rest of the world and fill our lives with things so that we don't really deal with that question, what happens to you after death? Instead, we can embrace it and say, I'll live my life here as long as the Lord pleases. But when He chooses to take me, I know exactly where I'll be. And then we can share that same message with others and they can begin to see it uh, in our lives. Death itself, in that case, is just, it's a way, it's a, it, it's a channel to life eternal. You know, in a moment we're going to be singing the hymn, Up from the Grave He Arose. Uh, and uh, as we did earlier this morning, we should sing it out and we should pay attention to those words uh, in our lives. Uh, so that as we live our lives, we, we live with that underlying joy. Uh, remember what uh, Jesus said, uh, a, a, a joy that, that can't be taken away, an underlying joy in our lives. Because we know, number one, that His Word is true. We can trust that. And we know and we can trust that His His plan is secure and supreme, that He is sovereign over all things. And finally, uh, we can trust that our salvation is secure and that our sin is forgiven and that we truly belong to Him. And that's the joy that He desires that we would have and that we would know. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for that knowledge, that certain knowledge that we can have, glorious knowledge, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And we thank You, Lord, that You have provided for us to, to not just uh, need to have evidence there to show us, so that we don't know for sure, there's always a doubt uh, somewhere in our minds, but that we can know for certain, because You've provided it in Your Word and by Your Spirit, and you convict us in mind and heart. And so we thank you for that. Yet at the same time, we would be probably the first ones to say that in this life we do experience doubt. 
And so we pray that you will help us day in and day out. Help us to put that doubt to death and help us to, to know the salvation that is ours in Christ and to be among those who proclaim that message to the world around us. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.